Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I I, I know I say this every week, but I'm so humbly grateful that I keep meeting the most amazing heart-centered leaders around the globe. And this morning, I want to introduce you to Dr. Kristen Donnelly. I have so much to say to her and so much I want to tell you about her, but I've had to truncate it because I want the brilliance of this interview to come through from our exchange of questions and answers. Kristen is a four-time TEDx speaker. She is internationally known as an empathetic educator and researcher with over 20 years of experience in helping people understand the beauty in difference, and the power in inclusivity. Can't even wait to talk about that. She is one of the good doctors of Abbey Research. She's the chief operating officer of their parent company, and she is an unapologetic nerd for stories of change. Kristen lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband, and they are surrounded by piles of books and several video game consoles. To say I'm excited is an understatement. So Dr. Kristen, welcome to the show. My gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's an utter privilege. You know, I I don't believe in coincidence. I've said it many times in the last two years on this show, there's just some really organic, beautiful, serendipitous moments of intersection. And I totally feel that you and I were brought together We have so much to talk about. So if you're ready, I'm going to dive into my leadership questions. Let's go. Empathy. I get goosebumps even saying this word. I know that you have done a deep dive of research. Share with us in your humble, evolving, professional research hat that you wear, why empathy isn't really about emotions. First of all, I would like you to consider how your body reacts when someone looks at you and says, I know exactly how you feel. Our guess is that it's not positive. Everyone I've talked to, our immediate thought is ranges from to some level of violent profanity (laughs) because emotions are intangible in so many ways. And we are at the cutting edge of emotions research, not anywhere near the end of it. In thinking about that and then combining between my business partner and my best friend, Dr. Aaron Hinson, we've got about combined 30 years of experience researching, analyzing how groups of humans work together. And then we each have about 40 years of experience in being a human. And what we have learned is that I don't often know how I feel about any one thing. So expecting someone else to know how I feel is rude at best, and impossible at worst. And so during lockdown, when we, just like everybody else, was trying to figure out how to emotionally process what was happening, we've been teaching soft skills forever. 
that's what we've been doing. I am, as you said, the CEO of our parent company, which is a family business. My brother and I are the second generation owners. We took it over right before the pandemic from my father who founded it. And we're trying to navigate all of this. And we realized that something had always itched us about the idea of emotions and empathy, like something that was always a little bit itchy. So we broke out dictionaries, kid you not, of every language we could understand. And what we learned is that the word emotions only appears in about a third of them. The word understanding appears in all of them. And as we took a step back and analyzed what that could mean, what empathy truly is, is a consistent choice to understand yourself and other people. It's making less assumptions and asking more questions. And it is recognizing that the person in front of you is just that, a person. And you can understand their motivations, their contexts, without ever condoning their opinions or actions. And that is the the true foundational soft skill of leadership. I also will say that I have been... My father started training me on leadership development when I was nine. I'm not joking. When I got grounded, I wrote book reports on leadership books for him. I got grounded a lot. And John Maxwell's definition of leadership, that leadership is influence, I think is so, so true. But I've always added that word intention. True leadership is intentional influence. And I have now added, it's really, it's true. It's intentional, empathetic influence. It's seeking to understand the folks on your team so that you can serve them best and they can serve the mission the best and all of those kind of things. So really, and there's lots of people that come at us and they're like, but I'm an empath and we can have, that's a separate conversation from empathy. We're just, unfortunately are using the same word for two very different things, but empathy is an intentional decision to understand yourself and others. Woo. I I don't even know where to start to unpack that intentional, empathetic influence. And, you know, for me, I think where I really learned this was the loss of so many friends and family members to cancer. Mm. And part of me digging into empathy was I need to sit in that observer's chair to be that intentional, empathetic influencer but for the purpose of nothing other than the greater good of, of saying, I meet you there. I've been there. And I did that and became a volunteer at hospice. Mm. And, you know, when you look at people and sometimes it's that superpower of silence where you just need to non-verbally just lean in and, and they can see the empathy and sometimes words aren't needed, but it's always been, so engraved on my heart when someone looks at me and says, how can you come here and how can you do this? And it's like you said, I know how you feel. And as soon as somebody knows, wow, they get this, because how do you even explain that? And I think grief is such a good example because people are either really good at it, they're apprehensive, or they're completely afraid, or they put their foot in their mouth. They don't know what to say. And I love the word intention. It's my word for 2022. And I love that you have prefaced the word influence by putting empathy in front of it. That is so, so powerful. I love that. I wish you guys could see when Kristen speaks about this, her her face lights up like a Christmas tree and her energy is like immeasurable. It's amazing. 
Okay, my second question is a little bit of fun. It has permanent residency on the show and I've asked every single guest and I think we're past 176 leaders now who've answered this. And I always, I always enjoy the receptiveness that I get from this question. Share with our listeners what imperfections Dr. Kristen brings to her heart-centered leadership. Oh, this is only 25 minutes, right? Um, <laughs> would you like them chronologically or alphabetically? I have a lot of imperfections and I am very blessed to work with two women on our team. Um, Eleanor, who is our tech mage, as we call her, and Erin, who is the other good doctor, who are constantly reminding me of my imperfections in a beautiful way, reminding me to embrace them and stop trying to fix them. And one of the things, I'm a terrible detail person utterly atrocious. So I hired two detail people. And every time I try to do a detail thing, they look at me and they're like, why, why, why are you doing this? Why? And they are so gracious. And I mean, also sarcastic and mocking because that's our love language, but it's so clear of like, we're all in our thirties here. We can stop trying to fix what we don't like. And why don't we just lean in to what we're already good at? I am very cluttered Physically, I wish I was one of those people that stress cleaned. I do not. Uh, I have a tendency to offer up words into someone's silence and pretend I know what they're talking about, which is not fair and something I am consistently working on. And a major imperfection is when I give in to my anxiety monsters and I forget the network of people and systems and resources I have built up around myself to not let the gremlins win. And too often, I believe the gremlins as truth instead of remembering I already conquered them. Like we've been here before I recognize that tree. Like we, we can go a different way. But I mean, my biggest one is that I am not God, I'm terrible at details. Eleanor and Aaron will spend 20 minutes back and forth on Slack about pixel count on something. And I just come in at the end, I'm like, it looks fine. <laughs> Like, it's fine. And uh, they, they laugh. So we work really, really well together for that reason. Well, and I'm always humbled to feel the alignment among all the beautiful leaders that I've interviewed because we all have those anxiety monsters. We all have imposter syndrome. We, we second guess regardless of how much schooling, how much experience, how much conversation. So I love that you authentically shared your heart of, of your imperfections and being in your thirties is fine. Cause you just laugh about it then it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. I'll take this decade over the others I've lived so far. I'm a big, big fan of this one. Uh, I was a big fan of that one 20 years ago myself. So it only gets better from here. I can tell you that for sure. Can't wait. Okay. My third leadership question is, could you share with me the ideology of what you framed is how we can have an empathetic worldview, how do we open up that bandwidth so that it'll make us a deeper human as you frame it? Gracious. That's such an excellent question. First of all, at the beginning, it'll feel hard and it'll feel like too much work, but the more you give into it, so let me frame it this way. So the more you choose it, the more bandwidth naturally opens up because you're not as angry or as grieved or as scared or as fearful because things just make sense a little bit differently. So the, the beginning steps is to discipline your brain to remember that everybody you interact with is a human. Start there. And you will be shocked at how often you dehumanize other folks. 
It's so simple. So if I could use a really recent example, as you and I speak, it is April of 2022. And one of the things in the pop culture zeitgeist is Will Smith and Chris Rock. And the national conversation around them was very quick to decide who was a villain and who was the victor. And one of the things that we do when we make someone a villain is we dehumanize them because we have to, in order to make an enemy intense enough in ourselves to defend against them, our biological psychosocial systems have to decide that they're not like us, that they're not a human. We see this in global conflicts like the Rwandan genocide, and we see this in marriages. We're in divorce therapy. The dehumanization process has set in. So if you decide to choose, so let's take Chris Rock and and Will Smith. If you say, okay, well, Will Smith is a human and Chris Rock is a human and Jada Smith Pinkett is a human. What does that mean? It means that we can never truly know them. So to decide exactly what they were doing is out of our comprehension or role. It means that they come with their own baggage their own pains, their own joys, their own hopes, their own ambitions, their own histories that we in the same way that we do. And it means that there are consequences to actions for sure, but never at any point in time should anything they do strip them of their innate humanness. So if you hold humanity in tension with everything else, like I can tell you, Vladimir Putin doesn't stress me out the way he does a lot of other people right now. Because I'll hear all the time, like, he's a monster. No, that's not helpful. He's a human. The best explanation we have for him is that he took the disillusion of the USSR personally. So I'm like, okay, well, if I personally have decided that the destruction of my country was a personal thing against me, how might I react? Seeing personhood feeds curiosity instead of judgment. So you can say, okay, I am really angry at this person or that person's ridiculous or that person's insane or that person, that woman is crazy or that man is a bully and you can, or I don't understand why we have to use all these new pronouns. This is dumb. You can take a step back and say, okay, well, they're a person, which means that they're just like me. So if I react out of fear, if my fear response is anger, then what might theirs be? If my fear response is talking too much, what might it be? So for me, it's like simple stuff as I created this intentional practice, which I've been unconsciously doing for a long time, but really intentionally for the last couple of years, it's things like, I don't have as much road rage anymore. Like I just look at them and I'm like, I don't know what's going on in your world, but I hope you get there safely. I am not scared about the fate of the world anymore. I don't get overwhelmed because everyone is a human and I don't know all I can control and all I am responsible for is loving the people in front of me. That's all I can do. So it like both gives me this global humanity perspective and this really narrow focus of my responsibility that frees me up from staying up late at night over things I cannot control. So that's where the bandwidth really starts, starts expanding is as you realize what you can and cannot control, you realize how much work there is to do and what you can control. And you can focus on that. Loving people is a verb. It is hard. It is a consistent choice. I screw it up every day. I am good at it every day at varying degrees. And that is enough for me to focus on and move forward in. So that's the best way I know how to explain the bandwidth issue. I hope that was clear. It was very clear. And I just want to add in a little kind of sub question to that. Hearing you speak and the intention and the emotion that you have in that last response 
would you say that you've mastered and honed the art of equanimity? Because that's the impression you've given me. Lord, I don't think I've mastered anything. I'm a huge believer in a constant journey. Being a human is hard work and none of us are taught how to do it. So we have to do it together and continue figuring out. So I'm uncomfortable with the mastery, but I will take your compliment. Thank you. I love that answer. (laughs) I I knew this was going to be a good conversation. Okay. My last leadership question and the one I am waiting for you to unpack. Oh, gracious. No, you're going to love this. And, and, and I just want to remind the listeners that Remember that Dr. Kristen's coming from an academic standpoint. She's done a lot of research. She's done a lot of speaking. She's in a family business. She's also a C-suite leader. So you're kind of getting a multifaceted approach to so many decades of experience and, and academia. So that's why I want to ask you this question. We're talking about hybrid We're talking about remote. We're talking about return to work. We're talking about back to normal. You have said there is no such thing as back to normal. So if comfortable, share with us what you're doing within your companies. What was working best? Has there been any pitfalls? Has there been any dips? What have you learned? And do we even have to coin a phrase for what we're doing right now? Great question. Normal is a setting on a tumble dryer. That's all it is. Everything else is what we construct together as a group of people we call a society. That's it. Full stop. Done. So whatever is normal in your company, you get to decide. Whatever is normal in your family, you get to decide. Think about it small. How many things that you did growing up as a family that you thought were totally normal, quote unquote, and then you go to college and people start looking at you like, what do you mean you put honey in your peanut butter. That's so weird. No, it's not. It was normal for you. It's not normal for them. There is no such thing as normal. So the question of what we did in our companies is a really simple, straightforward answer for us, because primarily with the exception of my division, we're manufacturing. So working from home and making dye don't go together. Many of our labor force, like they can't work from home. So we had more conversations about how to keep them safe from COVID. What are sick days? What are not sick days? What's what's all of those kind of things? How do we isolate them? Especially for so many people around the world. And we are not having this conversation enough. Isolation and quarantine are privileges of the wealthy. There are so many people that cannot quarantine. And this assumption that if you don't, you're a bad person is and something we got rid of immediately within our culture. We can quarantine you from, you know, the rest of us and we can and do that. But we need to also recognize that you're not going to be able to quarantine at home. COVID, you know, we didn't really have a scare here in our facility. There's only 25 of us and we can really spread out. We have a whole city block, et cetera, et cetera. But every time somebody would be like, oh, you got it from your kid, didn't you? With like a really kind of judgmental tone, the leadership or management would step in and be like, hey, everyone's doing their best. Everyone is doing their best. No one knows what they're doing. We are in a judgment-free zone regarding how you're navigating COVID. Judgment-free zone. This is all what we're doing. So I'll say that's part of how we handled it. But as Aaron and Eleanor and I, Aaron and Eleanor are mostly remote almost entirely. And our empathy education can exist remotely very, very easily. We do get together. We were together last week, actually on a corporate retreat at Eleanor's house outside of Toronto. And we sat on a couch and rewrote our website, which was a lot easier to do in person. But Aaron and I have had our ears to the ground of all of our other friends in academia, in business, in government, all around the world about how it's all happening. 
And here's what I will tell you. No one knows what they're doing. We are all figuring this out. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. It's messy because not only is the culture changing, but individuals are changing. We've decided to start calling this season. uh, We call them the after times or these times with capital letters. And we don't love the great resignation as much as we love the great reshuffle. And we think that's really, we heard that on a podcast, cannot remember from who. And we think that's a really a better way of understanding it. People are reshuffling identities and priorities. They're reshuffling what is possible. Every business that involves computers primarily can be done remotely. And you can miss me with a belief that it can't be. Everything is up for grabs now. You figured out how to run your business for a year during lockdown. Just because you can bring everybody back doesn't mean you should. Just because you can keep everybody remote doesn't mean you should. Just because you can do these things doesn't mean you should. What you need to figure out is what model aligns with your mission and vision. If you are somebody for whom community is incredibly important to your culture, then even if you're fully remote, you need to have times of the year where everyone is together. We need to understand that Technology is a absolute beautiful gift that not everybody in the world has access to. Remote is not an answer for people in this country who do not have access to the internet. Remote is not an answer for students in rural areas who, could, who missed school these last couple of years. In person is not always a priority for people who have immunocompromised children or who are, have caregiver responsibilities now. The world is different. Back to normal is a lie. And the good news is business leaders are known for our innovation. We innovate or die, right? And yet we have this weird, crusty fetish with keeping how we treat our people the exact same. So why can we do product innovation and not people innovation? What is so scary about it? Answer that question for yourself and then you'll answer what exactly the next phase is. I love that. And I love the reshuffle. You know, we've talked a lot on the podcast in the last year about the great resignation boom. It's not new. It's just in the forefront because people are paying attention and people, you talk about innovating people. We do that so that we don't have a behavior for our people to leave. People aren't tolerating it. There's no patience anymore. So what a lovely way to reframe that And I love how you brought in all the different populations. And I think the thing that still kind of makes me kind of queasy is is HR holding on to classifications. And I'm all about policy and protocol and processes. But, you know, I've seen in the U.S. a lot because I'm near Toronto, by the way. You were just near me. (laughs) Classifications for employees. I had a client who's a manager for a large uh, telecom company. And he's classified hybrid slash remote because he's expected to be in the office two to three days a week because he has a large team. And I remember him saying to me that their productivity and efficiency literally was through the roof amazing because he learned what you just so beautifully said. He innovated his people. He supported his people. He listened. And he said, I had twin girls during the pandemic. That wasn't in our plan. And I couldn't leave my wife. And he said, so I don't know why driving and sitting at a desk when my team's not there 
He doesn't see the purpose in that. But like you said, we're evolving. We need to learn to innovate. That's how we're going to keep this bandwidth open. And we're not going back to anything. That's not the direction we move in. So I hope that answer, which really, really was well done, Kristen. I hope people will just kind of maybe sit and back it up and re-listen to it because you really gave a lot of nuggets there. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just my rapid fire four questions. What's on the top of that brilliant mind? Here we go. First question, tell us something that we don't know about Kristen. My very first job out of college was as a voluntary sexual health educator in Northern Ireland. So essentially I taught sex ed for a year. Oh, wow. In Northern Ireland on my life list, not bucket list, life list. Want to go there. Love that. Okay. Without thinking, share with us a book that you read that was impactful in your life. It could be at any age. Who's the author and what was the impact? I read a book called Mountains Beyond Mountains by Tracy Kidder. It's the story of Dr. Paul Farmer and how he started an incredible nonprofit called Partners in Health. And the impact was to remind me that humans are humans no matter what postcode they're born into. And it was, an, it was an affirmation that my role as somebody born into the global 1% is to leverage my privilege for the power of others. Love that. Third question. I'm granting you a wish to meet with the leader of your dreams for dinner. This leader could be living. Maybe they've passed away. Who would you want to have dinner with and why? And what would the dinner conversation be? Our standard answer is Brene Brown, because we want to do for empathy what she gifted us all with, with vulnerability. And we would love to be able to chat it out with her a lot. My fun answer is uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, because I'm obsessed with his brain. But my true answer is Dr. Brene Brown. Wonderful. Well, I knew this was going to be a fun conversation. So before I let you close out the show with our last question, just know that we appreciate you taking time to spend with us today. We appreciate you sharing your expertise and more importantly, your heart. So thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an honor. Thank you for asking me. So we're going to close out the show with our favorite question. And I just want you to finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Service of others, remembering that you are important, but not imperative. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.